0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a regular feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and see it or download it in full. Today, my guest on the show is Kevin Kelly. Kevin Kelly helped launch Wired Magazine and was its exclusive editor for its first seven years. He has written for the New York Times, The Economist, Science, Time, and the Wall Street Journal, among many other publications. His previous books include Out of Control and The Best-Selling New Rules for the New Economy. Kevin lives in Pacifica, California. Welcome, Kevin. It's very nice to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Excellent. Let's uh, not waste any time and jump straight into the questions. Um, I would like to start from the beginning, if I may, just like you uh, started your book at the beginning of the universe a few billion years ago I wouldn't like to start as far back but maybe as far back as um, a little bit about your background and more mm. specifically how you got to be interested in the impact and progress of technology
1: I think um, the origin of this book is probably um, goes back to my own history and um, uh, Being a college dropout, spending a lot of time in Asia where um, I was in remote areas that had very little technology of any modern sort. And I spent a lot of my time living with people who had very little material goods, uh, most of it being stone or rope and fabric and not very much high tech. And they seem to be um, able to uh, be content with um, at a certain level with all this material. And I also was comfortable not owning very much. And I came back and I rode my bicycle, which was the only thing I owned at that time across America. And I interacted with the Amish who are kind of have a reputation for dismissing technology. And I had a lot of respect for them. And so there was one side of me that um, liked to keep a technology at arm's length. But at the same time, um, I got involved with the Whole Earth Catalog, which was a publication that did user written reviews and, uh, uh, and it was part of the kind of the hippie movement where we were trying to make uh, very select, appropriate technology. So we were trying to use technology that was appropriate to what we needed and no more. And um, from that came uh, my migration into my experience online very early in the 1980s. And there I saw a different facet of technology. It was it was very communal. Um, it was, it seemed very appropriate, and yet it was very high tech. And that began to change my mind about what I thought about technology. And as that kind of expanded, Wired started, I, and eventually I became very involved with high tech and now run a, a website called Cool Tools where there's lots of tech. And throughout that, I was getting the idea that maybe technology – was something we wanted more of. And so um, I wrote the book to kind of answer my own question Mm -hmm. about this, which was, what do I really think about technology? Is there a theory or a framework for uh, helping me decide what I should think about it?
0: So it is kind of encompassing the past, the present, and the future of technology as you see it. But I would like to go a little deeper and, ask you, what is the motivation? Why would that question be so important for you or for anyone else for that matter? What was your specific personal motivation to begin searching for an answer?
1: Well, um, if, you, if you think about it, um, uh, technology is without a doubt the most powerful force on this planet. It's It has a planetary scale effect in terms of climate change and the way that we humans have used our tools to alter... Both the face of the earth and even our own bodies. And so, um, with that, you know, and then we're surrounding ourselves with all this stuff. We spend most of our day, in some ways, dealing with technology, in contact with technology. And many of us are involved in making more of it. We're inventing it, we're spending our time trying to sell it or buying it. And I was just asking myself, what is all this stuff? What does it mean? What I mean is, it good? Is it? Uh, how does it relate to nature? How does it relate to the cosmos? What is the significance of this? And you know, if we look at it in the future and t- to where it's going, um, that might be one way we can answer the question of like, well, okay, here we are in 2010. We have all this technology. In another thousand years, or even 500 years, or even a hundred years, if we had a thousand times as much, is that good? And so I, I think this question of trying to answer the, and delve into the nature of it is, is actually vital because there's, it, it's so important in our lives.
0: So in that sense, would you say that um, your motivation was a scientific curiosity? Was it sociological? Was it ethical in the sense of trying to figure out whether technology brings good or bad dimension to our lives and our existence. Was it religious?
1: I would was say it was all
0: I would say it was all the above. I would say basically we have no
1: theory. Hmm. And if you ask if you ask you know, ethically, spiritually, scientifically, culturally, what technology is, there's really kind of no answer. It's like, well, it's this one thing maybe it's things that we invented in our minds, but there there there's no there's no framework, no theory about evolution. It's like having biology without a theory of evolution. It's like, well, it's just one organism after another. And here we had the same thing. It's just more stuff. And I think that it was more than that. I think it. I think it. it uh, my suspicion was is, is that there was something greater than just one invention after another. That there is a framework, a, a, um, a basis, a logic, uh,
0: a, a meaning. A pattern or tendency. A
1: pattern, something yeah. that unifies this. And most importantly, what I discovered is that it connects it actually to life.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you another cotangent question here, just to try and understand your sort of foundational starting points here. Um, I think it was your, the article about you on Wikipedia, and I don't know how accurate it was or not, mm-hmm. but... Somewhere... You don't believe everything Wikipedia says? <laughs> well, I'd like to double-check and cross-reference it. I, I do read it, but I'd like to cross-reference it usually. Um, sure. And I find it gets more and more accurate than, say, it was 10 years ago when it was just horrible. Um, but it says that you're a devout christian yes that's but, true now that that came to me as a as a huge surprise, even after uh-huh. i've read like a four hundred page book written by you <laughs> on the topic of technology uh-huh. so uh-huh. so for me the, the, another interesting dimension of you and the book and the sort of interplay between the two was. How do you reconcile your religious beliefs uh-huh. with the question that you ask and with the sort of intellectual child that you gave birth to? And right. I mean, do you have to at all reconcile it? Are they perfectly compatible or is there some friction or how is that working out?
1: I, I, I don't feel any friction between that. I mean, I, 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 I think that... Um, uh, I, I, I think that the is called the spiritual dimensions of technology um, are in line with uh, with the moral dimensions, with the cultural dimensions. And so from my mind, even though I didn't spend a lot of time talking about the spiritual dimensions, I don't I don't see any conflict with the scientific dimension uh, of technology. So I'm happy to talk about the spiritual dimensions if you want to go in that direction, but I don't feel that they're in any conflict with the scientific or the ethical or the moral dimensions.
0: Well, I'd like to cross over different disciplines and try sure. and connect a, big, a bigger picture, both uh-huh. of us as, as beings and, and of our subject of interest. Sure. Here. Um, and in that sense, so so you don't find a, a contradiction between, say, genetic engineering or stem cell research, or advanced robotics and nanotechnology, or even the so-called designer babies with advanced, Uh you know, or chosen genetic traits before their birth, etc. You don't find any contradiction with your religious beliefs there?
1: No, no, not at all. In fact, I, 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 I think that what's important to understand, of course, is that um, all these things that we just that you just mentioned, I, I think, are all inevitable technologies that are going to come down. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we, as humans, we have we have created our own humanity. We 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 have in you know we through our minds have invented ourselves and have created. Humanity. So even humanity itself is is a a technology, and what we're standing on right now is not a fixed, it's not a fixed entity. I mean, in in the book, I talk about the fact that we are a
0: process, and so um, I actually tweeted that we are a process and not an entity. That's one of my favorite quotes. Right, and and so um,
1: part, and I I even talk about in the fact that the Amish have a kind of a very stationary static view of human nature that it is fixed. And I think that is one of the big differences. Um, and there certainly are a lot of religious people who, who believe in the idea that there's a sacred fixed human nature. Especially
0: in Christianity, I would say. Especially
1: in Christianity. Exactly. Right. Although I don't see any, uh, uh I, I don't, I don't think that's actually necessary to, to, to believe that. And so, um, the, Uh, idea that we are not just trying to figure out who we are but actually trying to figure out who we can be, Mm -hmm. that is to me um, that's you know that's an assignment worthy of a great God
0: You see, I I agree with everything you say I I love your book, I agree and and your your approach and sort of uh, theorizing or s- stylizing, if I can say, putting uh-huh. a technology in a certain kind of a t- tendency and explaining it uh, resonates deeply with me and yet I find it very contradictory with, with the history of almost any religion, especially Christianity. I mean, with, with, with especially, you know, ever since even before the time of Galileo, the church had issues with sure. both technology and progress. Sure. And, and So for me, that was almost shocking.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I think the whole thing about belief systems, whether it's Christianity, um, Muslim, Jewish, or atheist, is Mm -hmm. that um, people do all kinds of things in the name of that that don't necessarily, to me, represent the entire um, spectrum of all those who follow it. So um, what has been done, I mean, what atheists have done, doesn't represent what all atheists believe. And I think the same thing about what's been done in the name of Christianity does not represent actually the inherent uh, essential beliefs of, of that either. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's necessary for me to necessarily, in my book, apologize for everything that's been done in the name. But I, I, I do think that um, it's important to realize that the reason why I think Christianity has, has lasted for 2,000 years is that there's probably a lot more going on there than what appears in, say, you know, the Tea Party, Republicans. <laughs> it's, you know, I, I think there, there, is, there is something there. At
0: the very least, I would say yes. I agree <laughs> entirely with you on that point, too. Even though I, I am more of an agnostic on a good day, and on most days I'm actually an atheist, but, but I right. agree entirely with you. But but then you have this tendency in the book, very open, and, and I kind of very much sympathize with it, to try and limit and uh, minimize a lot of technologies while admitting the importance and the usage of certain ones. You're trying to sort of minimize the overall uh, presence of many kinds of technologies in your own personal life. Right. So, so where does that originate in you? Is its it... Well, is it is it sort of connected with religion in any way or no
1: no No, i think it just temperamentally uh and and also by the way i think that's where my optimism comes from i can justify it but i think it's just temperamentally personality i'm an optimistic person and the same thing i think i am um comfortable with um with with little stuff and even though I have a lot of stuff in my house, I, have, I lived most of my adult life before. I was 35 years old before I had a job. And so I was 35 years old before I had anything more than a bicycle. And so um, I spent most of my adult life with very little, and I was comfortable with that. And I think it's just just, just personality. So, um, but I do think that I was involved with, of course, the Whole Earth Catalog, which was trying to also kind of find its way through – this technology abundance. And um, I sympathize with the idea of trying to find the minimum amount, because I think with the minimum, you actually are able to, as an individual, you're actually able to come closer to, to, to fulfilling or expressing your talents. I think that um, there's an overhead that we spend on everything that we have in our lives. And so, Um, the more we are spending up keeping things that we don't really need, the less we can spend time on actually revealing what we have. And I think, um, and so I came to this idea that I wanted to minimize in my personal life the amount, however, and, and like that, that's sort of like what the Amish do. It's what maybe some other people, um, who are trying to live simply do, but I think that's not enough. I think, um. That's why, the, that's why I'm not Amish is I think just that half of it of trying to minimize it in your own life is not good enough because while we are minimizing our own lives, we actually want to maximize it, the pool of possibilities for others so they can actually then go through and minimize for them. The Amish are only doing the half of minimizing. They're not involved in trying to increase the, the possibilities for others. Mm-hmm. They depend on others actually to to invent the things that they 're going to use, so I think there 's two halves that we need to be involved in minimizing ours while maximizing others and I think that kind of combination uh, works for me
0: so that's that 's very interesting that 's another very interesting contradiction that that I found a slight contradiction I mean right. you do you go to very good extent of explaining the Amish take on technology and and ultimately repudiated by by the fact that what you just said that the right. the minimalist lifestyle technology wise is dependent on the maximalist right uh the maximum presence of technology overall globally and it's entirely dependent right. on it right, uh, right. now uh stephen johnson i think i had his book it's over there on the shelf he mm-hmm. called your work um, the anti-Unabomber manifesto. Yeah, right. And, and I, I actually entirely agree with that. I think that's uh-huh. a very, very good way of sort of summing uh-huh. up the essence right. of your work. I mean, that's my opinion. Because right. it's, at the same time, a very logical and powerful repudiation of the Unabomber uh-huh. while presenting an alternative very optimistic and even Mm -hmm. more powerful uh logic right so it's very compelling to me but let's say most of our listeners and viewers would not have read the book just yet because Mm -hmm. it just came a couple of weeks ago so right would you mind telling us what what technology wants
1: yes so um but I, I would like to say something about the Unabomber because what people may not realize is actually I have a chapter in the book.
0: Yeah, you do.
1: Called the Unabomber was right, and yet it's a, the anti-Unabomber manifesto. Yeah. And um, I, I just want to explain that for when people pick it up, they might not understand what we're talking about. So the idea is is that um, what the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski, who was a mathematics professor in real life, was talking about was he made a very I thought a, a, a very logical and um, almost objective appraisal of the ways in which the technology are so codependent upon each other and we are so dependent upon it that it has its own agenda. Mm-hmm. And in that, in that assessment, I agree with him that, 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 that you know, it's the technologies that I'm talking about are not this, your, stand- your iPhone as a standalone device. It's the fact that the iPhone requires a thousand other technologies to produce it and maintain it. Each of those technologies probably require a hundred technologies to support it. And so you have an ecosystem of technologies that are all um, dependent upon each other. And whenever you have ecosystems with kind of recursive interactions, you have this system exhibit two things. It exhibits behaviors uh, that are not present in any of the parts, mm-hmm. and you also exhibit behaviors that are recurring behaviors that are that are driven by the fact that it's a system, and so um, all this the Unabomber said, talked about, and, and and I agreed with him, but his conclusion about what the agenda, what technology wanted, I really disagreed with, and of course his response, which was to to to, to feel that it justified him murdering people. I of course don't don't agree with at all. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what I think he was right about is this idea that technology is not just a a set of individual inventions; that it forms some super organism, if you will, some higher level of a system, and that that system has inherently some biases or agenda. Now. When I say want, I'm slightly provocative, but I mean it in the sense that it's not intelligent, it's not conscious, but it's a way that the say a plant system, the plant wants light, or a worm wants water. It is moving the entire system in a certain direction, and um, we can and want is not binary; it's a continuum. You know, a bacterium have a little bit of want. Towards the nutrient grading, and we have more conscious ones, but there's a whole continuum. And I think the technium is sort of like I don't know, it's like a flatworm, or it's like a it's like a bug that wants something. It's no more than that, but actually, that's pretty powerful.
0: And and what's even more important is that you stress that it is continuously evolving and becoming more and more sentient, and more and more complex, and more and more diversified, and et cetera, et cetera. All of which are traits of of life and of biology
1: right so 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 i, I make an analogy I, i'm saying that basically the, the the essence of living systems and life and evolution is mostly information processing and we can show that in many ways by migrating biological processes into computers and things and um and so i i asked this question to, to begin with i say well what are the what's the direction in evolution mm-hmm. in biological systems now I I am the first to admit that this is a controversial idea, but I say that actually um, any objective reckoning of this biological evolution over time shows that there are directions. This is not universally accepted in evolutionary theory today. Mm -hmm. It's only a minority of biologists who accept the fact that there is a move towards greater complexity even though to almost any lay observer we say yes obvious the, the problem is has been actually quantifying this because we have issue, we, we don't really know what information is we don't really know what complexity is we don't have really good operational definitions of this and so quantifying this is a problem even though we intuitively understand that there is a, a, a kind of a one-way a ratcheting, of increasing complexity over 3.7 billion years. And not just because simple things can't get, have to get complex because even in the middle, halfway complex things don't evolve towards simplicity. They always go the other direction overall on average. So I say if the essence of biology is really kind of information, information processing, and it's really a continuum, a different facet, that we see expressed in the technium, then the technium also is basically headed towards kind of as an extension, an acceleration of the same thing that evolutionary life is. It's kind of one big cosmic evolution. And so then I project and show some reasons why we should believe that technology, the technium, again, not the individual, but the system itself is headed towards Increasing complexity, increasing diversity, increasing specialization, increasing mutualism, increasing evolvability, among other things. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, again, I agree with everything that you've observed and and theorized about philosophy. But what surprises me really is what's absent. And what I mean Mm -hmm. by this is this. Uh, in my view, your book would have been a perfect prequel to Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near, mm-hmm. right? Because you show the before story much better even than he does, mm-hmm. and you you t- sort of give a million and one examples from all kinds of fields and, and kingdoms of biology and make a very, very powerful argument that's kind of much easier to comprehend than the one he puts forward in his book. Mm -hmm. But what's absent in your book is that ultimate culmination. I mean, for example, you do say that um, we are um, observing the tendency to greater complexity. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow in your book that doesn't culminate in a super enhanced, Mm -hmm. super computer, super powerful artificial Mm -hmm. intelligence. You, mm-hmm. don't, you, you do touch on the singularity, but very briefly and mm-hmm. sort of... Dismissing day, it. <laughs> exactly. And, yes. and the other day I watched a recording of you and Stephen Johnson again, I think at uh-huh. the library in New York, and mm-hmm. you sort of dismissed quickly mm-hmm. both of right, you actually, right. the singularity. Right, right. So why is that? What, what is it that I'm missing? What <laughs> connection do I make that you do yeah, not yeah. see
1: there? Right. Okay. No, I mean, this is a fair question. So the, the uh, I, I very consciously did not get into the singularity in this book for s- several reasons. One is because it, it is um, – I felt it was a distraction uh, to this because I think the singularity is a scenario. I think it's one scenario. In other words, I can actually imagine um, futures of the tech team that don't involve a singularity. Okay? And so, because 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 I don't see that as uh, at least as I understand the term, I don't see that as ne- inevitability. Um, I, I didn't talk about it because it was just going to be too complicated. So let me tell you about why I don't think it's in, in, in inevitability. Uh, again, as I understand it, first of all, as I understand there are multiple definitions or multiple things re- that we mean by, by the singularity. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, uh, I think the, the, the common perception or at least the one that I'm kind of first reacting to is, is Ray's um, is a popular understanding of Ray's version. Cause again, some of the things that Ray's claiming in his book Is often misunderstood. So, so, so the common perception that I think Ray does no is not really kind of working against is this idea that what the singularity is going to yield very fast within you know another thirty years Mm -hmm. is um, a a AI that is capable of producing an AI that's even smarter than itself, and then an AI that's even far smarter than itself at a rapid rate, and uh, that's so rapid that. Once we start this process, it will sort of almost seemingly instantaneous arrive at some super intelligence that can then solve most of the problems that we have, including this really vital problem of longevity or immortality. So it sort of grants us immortality. And with that, we can kind of solve everything else. So there is a sense of reaching this um, heavenly state almost um and so um and of course then the whole agenda becomes just to live long enough to reach to to, to bridge across that yeah. that gap and that's why ray's taking his 250 pills a day whatever it is to to, to make it through there yeah. so that so that that thing i think is just wrong and not i think it's wrong first of all the timing is wrong it's just not going to happen in that because all the precursor things that we need are just not there. But um, I … What
0: in your opinion are the precursors?
1: Well, I mean I, I, I think that um, … I, I think this is this is a case of um, what I call thinkism. Yeah. Th- thinkism is this idea that, that just by thinking about things, you can solve problems. Okay, it's like like assuming that if we had a real super intelligence right now that it could take all the literature of all the medical literature and then think about it and come up with a cure to cancer. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, a lot of the things that we have to to solve actually require experiments, actually require uh, delving. We, We simply don't know. We don't have enough data about um, we actually have to perform experiments, which on living organisms like ourselves will take time to produce results. Okay. And now, the common response to that is, "Oh, well, this super thing is going to do simulations." Uh, well, the only reason why a simulation would run faster than in real life is if it's simpler. Okay, it, it, it's it's just collapsing the complexity to something so we can speed it up.
0: If it's what, if comp- we, what if we have a much faster microprocessor that could run the simulation at, say, a trillion times faster than real life processes?
1: Right, and and uh, and, and, and so there there is the idea that um, you mean the full complexity of, of of life at a faster speed.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So so we're kind of getting deep into this, but there is this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, of the Church-Turing hypothesis, yep. which says that in fact um, all computations equal, given unlimited time and, time. Sp- and space, yep. and that's the difference between reality and uh, emulation. Is is that in reality, um, the matrix in which you perform some calculation actually makes a difference. Okay, so, 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 so because you don't have unlimited time and space, you. Any, any computation is bound by the matrix, and the matrix does affect whatever you get out of it. So I don't actually buy the idea that you can actually replicate a process in full in a diff- on a different substrate. I don't think that works, because the assumption is, is that the things are equivalent, but that only is if, if you have unlimited time and space. And that's, that's not true for real systems, and so I don't think it's possible to actually replicate, even though, no matter how fast you go, to replicate a living system fully, in, in all its degrees, on another system and vice versa. So I reject at the very fundamental, this idea of the equivalency of computation. And so I think the idea that having, uh, that, that being able to, and of course, you know, downloading all that stuff, I have the same issues with it the idea that we can actually speed up a million times um, investigation of the real world by simulation I think that we can learn a lot by it and I think simulations will have a huge impact on the scientific method and what we know but I don't believe that they're equivalent and and that therefore um, we can simply speed up and get answers and so that's why I, that's why I'm skeptical. Of that scenario as the only scenario that we have
0: yeah and even here in your book um, on page 332 you say that the only kind of mind I doubt will make many of is an artificial mind just like a human the only way to reconstruct a viable human species of mind is to use tissue and cells and why bother when making human babies is so easy Right. And so, and so I, what,
1: what, I'm, what I think is going to be much more profitable for us is to make alien types of minds to actually, I think, I, in other words, I think this, we have another fault of the singularity as maybe represented by Ray is, is this idea that, that intelligence is a singular, that it's one thing. And actually, I think that we have really no idea what intelligence is, and it's probably like a hundred different factors. And, um, and and, and that, that means that, in fact, probably a lot of the biggest problems in terms of our understanding or mysteries, this is called, a lot of the biggest mysteries in the universe, are we may have an intelligence that our, the humankind may not be able to solve by itself, and we may need other kinds of intelligences to actually comprehend the universe. And so what, we're, what, we, what we may be able to do is invent other kinds of minds that will be smarter in certain dimensions from us, just like your calculator is smarter than you in arithmetic, and together, unified in some ways, um, we can actually collectively comprehend or answer some of these
0: mysteries. Well, again, I I very much understand and and accept your argument but but several uh alternatives do not seem incompatible to me with what you're proposing Mm -hmm. so for example um one uh such artificial intelligence could turn out to be the technium eventually a super intelligent super powerful almighty computer spanning the whole Globe, yes. right? right? Which can do, which can then in turn spawn intelligence across the galaxy first, and then across the universe.
1: Sure. Okay.
0: Another option is all those tendencies that are biological tendencies that you mentioned, like mm-hmm. acceleration, greater mm-hmm. complexity, diversification. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they do seem to me, at least, to suggest that there may be a moment when alternative based intelligences arise that could be of equal to human or or better than human level of intelligence right so so just like for example uh, you say that you think that minds of human equality mm-hmm. would have to be based on tissue and cells just like humans but say mm-hmm. uh, people argued like that before the Wright brothers about flying for example right they said well we can't build flying machines because you have to do it exactly like the birds with feathers and Dave. Right. Would well, and actually I'm not, the I'm right. No, I'm not
1: saying that you can't have intelligence without flesh. If, if, if people said, no, you can't have flying machines like birds without flesh, they'd be, they'd be true because the airplane flies nothing like a bird. I'm, I'm only saying that you can't have an intelligence like human intelligence mm-hmm without human tissue. But, but I don't think we need intelligence like human intelligence. I, I think I, I reject this idea of like you say exceeding human intelligence. I don't know what that means because I mean, it's like saying, um, we'll make, we're going to make humans that exceed humans. What do you mean exceed humans? If if we're going to make human bodies that exceed humans, you can say they exceed humans in a certain dimension. Maybe it's they run faster or maybe they are bigger.
0: Well, I'll give you an example. For example, okay. I was interviewing Professor Kevin Warwick from University of Reading yes. a few weeks ago. I know who he is. And he was saying things such as, for example, I would like to be able to see an infrared or an ultraviolet. Sure, right? sure. I would like to be able to do a trillion calculations per second. I would like okay. to communicate with my wife via thought or via the internet sure. via sure. thought. sure. And all those things. So when you put and you, you add extra dimensions in our capability sure. to perceive of and our ability to process that incoming information multiplied sure. by a factor of, I don't know, a million, then sure. you do come, I, I think, it seems to me, to a superhuman level of intelligence.
1: No. See, see I think you have another kind of intelligence.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I, I, yes, 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 you, you do. But but yet there is some kind of continuity from us if we are the starting point because he believes that through cyborgization sure. of the human body, right, you can and, and that's another issue by the way which you barely you you sure. not really touch. But, on. but
1: but let's go back. So would you say that we have we're just basically super chimps?
0: No. I, Why not? Well, in in a way, well, in a way, we're super bacteria. I mean, it would follow from your own book, right? We, uh-huh. we are the continuation that the, right. the, the current state of that process right. which started in the primordial oceans in the form right. of bacteria right. and then it's us and then it's continuing to evolve right. because we are a process right. not an entity
1: but i mean would you say that we're super chimps even as an entity that, that humans are super chimps because we we're smarter than chimps now we're, we're not as strong as chimps and we're many we're different in many ways yeah uh, would you say we're super chimps?
0: I, I see your point and I accept it. Yeah, I wouldn't say we're super chimps. Right, we're and so yes. we're
1: different. And th- yes. that's what I'm trying to say is that we're going to make, they, they will be super, they will exceed us in certain dimensions, but, but not necessarily all dimensions because there's no reason to. And so um, uh, it, it's this idea that there's only one dimension, that there's only one vector in intelligence, which I'm trying to reject. Mm-hmm. It's this idea that intelligence is many forked, many different dimensions, highly complex. And if we're focused on just this idea that it's one long ladder and we're going to kind of accelerate it, and usually the acceleration is always just going faster. But in fact, most of these things are going to be going in directions that we simply don't, we haven't gone in. That's, the, that's going to be the real excitement, is understanding that there are different ways to think that we have not even imagined yet. It's not just that we're going to be going faster. So there's this, I mean, I think this idea of the acceleration is blinding us Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with a single scenario. And that's sort of what I'm trying to reject.
0: Yeah, and I I totally accept your point on that level that it's only one of the potential scenarios probably. But also it seems to me in my mind as one of your cases of inevitable outcomes Mm -hmm. Right, so you give the case of, say, the stripes of a tiger or the, the, the dots on right, right, the right. butterfly wings, and, you know, the specific dots or stripes could be random, but all of them are having the same tendency of developing those right. innate tendencies, sure, right? Sure, so sure. my understanding of art, artificial intelligence coming to be was kind of similar of it. Right, right? Well,
1: but, but let's, let's rewind the tape of life and go back to the era of life when they were just maybe, um, you know, sea cucumbers. Mm-hmm. And we say, we say what's the future of evolution? If you said, well, it's obvious that the future of evolution is humans, you'd be right. But I would say, yes, the future of evolution is humans, plus another million other species all interacting together. Yeah. It's humans and giraffes and apes and porpoises and whales. It's all those. It's not just humans.
0: So, well, for example, what would you say about a statement such as the one that Ray makes occasionally, which is to say that mm-hmm. the, the the goal of evolution is the dissemination or the spreading of intelligence, and the the argument take, taken to the ultimate point is the giant computronium or the moment when the universe wakes up and becomes intelligent. You do touch it as one yeah, of the Yeah, I mean, in, I, I, that's,
1: in fact, I just had dinner with uh, James Gardner last night, the... Uh, he talks about the intelligent universe, um, and that's his omega point. Yeah. I, I you see. I don't. I, I'm I'm allergic a little bit allergic to the idea of the omega point that there's a a single destiny, um, and I, I, I'm much more of a pluralist. That I, I think that we that, that what te- that what technology brings us, what evolution brings us, which is increasing variety, and so we we forget the fact that every living species alive today is as highly evolved as any other one so 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 i don't see it as a ladder i see it as this kind of expanding circular tree bush where where the the the, the horseshoe crab is as highly evolved as humans are Mm -hmm. okay it's not as complex as as we are but it's just it's it's gone through four billion years of learning and refinement and so um uh, i I see t- the tectium spreading out in that same way where there's not a single course there is a progression and and so it's inevitable I think to have a planetary scale intelligence but it won't be the only intelligence hmm.
0: that's very very fascinating um, we're approaching the end of our interview unfortunately it's so Uh, Yeah, it went pretty fast. But um, I would like to ask you the last two questions that I traditionally ask of all my guests on the show. And the first one is, uh, for all the people out there who hear or see you for the first time, what's the best place that they could uh, go and look for more information or follow you in any way digitally or connect to you via technology? Yeah,
1: um, my website www.kk.org has everything about me and my email has been public for 25 years it's kk at kk.org and people can write to me
0: excellent so if there's one message that you would like to give to all of our viewers and listeners today Mm -hmm. what would you like it to be
1: that's a good one okay so here's what it is um Um, we collectively are involved in making more stuff, more technology, more artifacts. We're trying to make more stuff to sell. We're involved in buying stuff. So we're we're, 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 somehow or other, most of us are engaged in some ways of of adding to the Technium in some ways. And um, I think at times that can be very dispiriting because it might resemble consumerism. Some of the stuff doesn't last very long if it ever even gets made or sold. Um, even when it does, um, it's obsolete very fast. And uh, there, there is a sense of really not being connected to something that seems very important. Or else um, it, it's, it's distracting and we have these issues about the, the rate of change and the way it's um, maybe affecting our minds, and we also feel disjointed from this acceleration. And so, um, I, I think I think we're while we're very technologically oriented, we're at unease often with with this. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying that uh, if we step back and look at the long term trends in technology, and show how actually its roots, the technium's roots, are in life, and the life's roots are actually. All the way back to the Big Bang and any kind of exotropic systems that um, we can step back and see that actually, no, this is um, – there's a large story happening. There's there's an arc from the beginning of time through now that will work um, through our lives now and go beyond us and that we can actually be – we're actually part of something bigger than just what's happening right now selling stuff. And that that bigger thing that we're part of, that we can align ourselves with, this sort of cosmic evolution story, is actually a story where um, we're bringing more choices and opportunities and options to people. And I think that's really, really good because all of us have a mix of different talents and abilities, but often it requires us to make something to, to allow those to express. And so... Maybe we are a musician and we need an instrument um, to be made to really fully uh, express our genius. Or maybe we need a certain camera or a holodeck interface or some other gizmo. And um, there have been, you know, I mean, we like to imagine the world in which uh, Beethoven was born before the piano or the symphony and what a loss that would be or Jimi Hendrix before the yeah. uh, amplifier was built. And today, somewhere in the world, there's a young boy or girl who's a genius. And maybe we haven't made their guitar yet for them or the equivalent of the camera or the Holodeck thing. And so I think we have an obligation to increase those possibilities so that everybody in the world would have some chance to express their unique genius to the world. And. By participating in this long story, this long arc of increasing complexity and specialization, by, by aligning ourselves with that thing moving through history and beyond us, I think it gives us just some reason to, to keep making this stuff and and imbues our, our lives with, with more meaning, understanding that we're actually we're doing good when we embrace technology.
0: So technology does not want a singularity, but wants increased opportunities, freedom, and uh, diversification and and uh, ability to express and find out who we are. Yes,
1: I think it was all those things. It wouldn't surprise me if a singularity-like thing was part of the mix, but I, I just have to emphasize that it's only one scenario or one option. And so... I think the idea that we would move through something, a phase change, let's call it, mm-hmm. where we move through something that whose, whose origins or outlines or even behaviors we cannot see right now, that seems very reasonable to expect. We did that with language already once. We moved through language, and before language, we could not imagine the world of after language. Um, and it's very possible that we could move into other states that we can't imagine right now because we're at the wrong scale. That seems inevitable. And in that sense, I think that is part of the inevitable future. Um, But I don't think it's necessarily that it's going to be a super AI that makes a super AI in the next 30 years.
0: But but in that case, do do you think that, uh, or I mean, how would you judge our chances of surviving and going through all those, you know, unparalleled change changes that sure, we would sure. have to go through in the next several decades right. or centuries sure. as a species.
1: I, I think if we imagine ourselves as exactly as we are right now, there's zero chance that we would survive. I think the only way we get through these things is that we are continually reinventing ourselves and changing our own nature. And so, um, we're not the same people who came out of Africa. So basically they have not survived okay early pre-humans have not survived they have changed we have changed ourselves into who we are right now we will change ourselves again in the future and we will be different than we are right now
0: thank you kevin i i have to say that i did read your book with a great deal of interest and for me from my point of view it was both fascinating and beautiful and a very sort of a one of the most poetic defenses of technology and an optimistic one, too. So it was just a pleasure to read, and I think I'll be rereading it, so I would recommend it to everyone.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your interest in kind words, and uh, let me know if I can help again.